Welcome to Simply by Grace, a podcast of Grace Life Ministries with founder and director, Dr. Charlie Bing. This podcast and other helpful resources can be found at our website, gracelife.org. Now, here's Dr. Bing. It's a great privilege to start in, in the Free Grace Alliance and to be a part of sharing the gospel around the world and connecting, equipping people to do that. But, you know, you would think it would be a cause that people could rally around. Yeah, the grace of God and the gospel, of the free gospel of grace, and everybody will rally around that. And, uh, well, you know, first of all, we assume that everybody agrees what the gospel is. And then we, then we have to figure out what is the content of the gospel. And then we have to figure out, well, what does faith mean? And what does repentance mean? And uh, how many dispensations are there? And uh, what's the meaning of the outer darkness? And how many, uh, what are the three ribs in the bear's mouth in Daniel 7, 5? And, uh, and as Phil said, sometimes things could get ungracious amongst Christians in some of these discussions. It's kind of like herding cats. But thankfully, and thank God, by the grace of God, things have settled down. And we found out what we can live with, and we still have our discussions, but they're more friendly now. Um, but is it worth it? That's the question we ask tonight. It's a great privilege <clears throat> to be a part of sharing the gospel and helping to spread that good news around the world. It's a humbling privilege uh, because we're not claiming that we're the only ones that, that understand the gospel in any kind of arrogant way. It's, if we do, it's by the grace of God that we do. Now, we didn't invent the gospel, um, and everybody who is saved is saved by free grace. That's just the truth of it. They may go different directions afterwards, but they're all saved by, by free grace. It's a, it's a privilege, but I also want to say tonight that it is a duty. Are we not commanded to go and to preach the gospel to all the world? So it's not only a privilege, it's a duty. And we're going to see that in the passages that we're going to look at tonight, and um, because it's a privilege and a duty, the, the FGA must exist and it must thrive. And we are part of something very important. Well, I selected a passage tonight that I've actually never preached on. And, um, you know, I could pull a dozen, dozens of messages out that I've preached dozens of times and be more fluent in my delivery, but I decided to preach on something that was faithful to the theme of the conference and I thought was relevant to our situation today in the ministry of the gospel. And so we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 9, where Paul is um, discussing there um, why he uh, does not, he has not taken a dime while he was in Corinth for the gospel. And you know the context of the passage is when he was in Corinth, and he was there for a lengthy time, he worked with his own hands as a tent maker. He refused to take one penny or one mite for uh, preaching the gospel because he was being accused by his enemies, his motives were being questioned, and to avoid all of that distraction, he preached the gospel freely, for free, without taking the support. He did In the earlier part of chapter 9, he argues very convincingly that, you know, he has the same right as the other apostles to live by the gospel. He has uh, the Old Testament teaches it. Jesus taught it. Uh, contemporary examples uh, 
Uh, he gives contemporary examples. He just uses common sense that a person who preaches the gospel has the right to live by the gospel, but they also have the right to refuse financial support if it would affect their preaching in any way. So you know that that is the context for this passage. And when we read this passage, I, I kind of think of it as an x-ray. This is why I chose it, because it kind of gives us an x-ray into the heart of one of the world's greatest evangelists, if not the greatest. And, you know, I recently, um, <laughs> why do we always talk about this? Last year I was limping. I got my knee replaced after the conference. This year it's my hip. So last week I'm at the doctor, and the doctor shows me, he said, now this is an x-ray of a good hip. You see, and this is your x-ray. <laughs> this is why we're going to replace it next month. <laughs> and, you know, all the, all the cartilage was gone. So when I read a passage like this, it's as if we're looking at an x-ray of Paul the Apostle's heart, the evangelist's heart. And I want to hold it up against my heart and see if I'm thinking the same way about the gospel as he is. Maybe you would like to do that tonight, too. If you think it's a privilege, how high of a privilege? If you think it's a duty, what and how faithful are you to that duty? Well, let's read the passage together. After Paul argues that he has a right to live by the gospel, he says, But I have used none of these things, nor have I written these things that it should be done to me, for it would be better for me to die than anyone should make my boasting void. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me! The word woe in the Greek is oi. Oy, and I, maybe in the Hebrew it's the same, but can you picture the Apostle Paul, the rabbi, saying, Oy, 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 if I do not preach the gospel, for if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, I've been entrusted with a stewardship. What is my reward then? That when I preach the gospel, I may present the gospel of Christ without charge, that I may not abuse my authority in the gospel. Paul is basically saying, he's, he's telling us whether the gospel is a privilege or a duty, and he is saying that he is compelled to preach the gospel without prof, prof, profit, either willingly or out of duty, with the reward that he offers it for free. That's kind of my summary conclusion of what Paul is saying to us there, and he does that without regrets. There's no woe, there's no oi in his ministry. So Paul doesn't want to profit financially from the gospel, uh, from preaching the gospel. To him, in some way, that would, that would not only cause people to question his motives, but it, it seems, to him, seems to me that he's saying that it would undercut the very privilege he feels in doing so as a privileged preacher charged with doing that and as a dutiful servant or steward who's doing that. And so, therefore, he is allowed um, to boast that he does not preach for gain. And he does not want to profit financially from the gospel, and he doesn't need to boast about preaching for gain, or he can't be accused of it. Paul can't boast about preaching the gospel because he's compelled to. He says uh, it's of necessity, if I preach it of necessity. Uh, I think what he's feeling there is, the, is his compulsion is due to the 
charge that Jesus Christ charged him with to, be a, to preach the gospel. And it, it reminds us of Acts chapter 20, 24, which I, I just love this verse because it really gives you insight into Paul's heart and his driving motivation. His last words to the elders of Ephesus, who we never see again, in face of the warning that he faced in Jerusalem. But he says, none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul knew that God had commissioned him, Jesus himself had commissioned him to preach the gospel of the grace of God. It's interesting that he would emphasize the grace of God. He could have said to preach the gospel. But like you and I, we're called the Free Grace Alliance. We emphasize free. We don't need to do that. We could call ourselves the Grace Alliance. It means the same thing. It also reminds us of his testimony to King Agrippa as he recounts his conversion on the road to Damascus when he encountered Jesus Christ and saw Jesus. Jesus speaks to him. And then Jesus says, Rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. So what Paul is saying when he says of necessity, I preach this of necessity, is that I think he's fulfilling what commission the Lord has given to him. Now, some might think, and I'm tempted to think, that Paul was saying, I have to preach this, kind of like Jeremiah said, you know, I have fire in my bones, I've got to speak the Word of God because of this fire in my bones. Well, I think that was true of Paul too, but I think what he had in mind here when he says of necessity is that this is what Jesus commissioned me to do. This is my life purpose. This is why I exist. This is why I live. This is why I encountered him on the road. This is my raison d'etre, my reason for being. What is the reason for being for the FGA or for your life? So I think another thing that might have been driving Paul too is Paul taught all through the epistles about the judgment seat of Christ. And he was well aware that he would have to give an account for his life someday. And he could have regrets if he did not, if he did not devote himself to fulfilling the commission given to him. He said in 2 Corinthians 9, 9 through 11, Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Now, however you want to interpret or whatever you want to do with that terror of the Lord, fear of the Lord in some translations, it's there. And it was a motivation for Paul in his ministry of persuading people with the gospel. He knew that he had to give an account. So we don't take it lightly when he says, uh, of necessity, he is preaching the gospel. He had a sense of accountability. So Paul has no regrets. He preaches willingly as a privilege. Um, and he has a reward, which he explains later. He goes on, he, he's telling us that he preaches, if he preaches unwillingly, and some scriptures use the word, if it's against my will or unwillingly, I don't think he's saying he's being forced to. What he's saying is, even when I don't want to, but I'm obedient and I preach, 
unwillingly, not being forced to, it's still, I'm preaching as a steward. I'm fulfilling my duty, and that has a reward also. Now, Pastor Phil and the Scriptures remind us that it's required of stewards that they be found faithful. And so Paul knew that even if he didn't feel uh, it a privilege at the moment for whatever reason, it could be under heavy persecution, it was still his duty to preach the gospel as a steward who's faithful to his duty. In Luke 17, Jesus tells an interesting story. You remember about, um, he says, what, what does a master say? The servant's out in the field and he's working and he's done his work and he comes in from the field and he gets ready to eat and the master says, no, no, you, you prepare my supper and after I eat, you can prepare your own meal. And Jesus says, does that master thank him for preparing his meal? No, because he's simply done his duty. Friends, when we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, when we devote ourselves to declaring that message around the world, do you think God's going to thank us for that? I don't think so. We're doing our duty. We're fulfilling a privilege that he's given to us. We're going to thank him for letting us be a part of his plan. So Paul's reward that he speaks of here is that he can offer the gospel freely without any regrets. He can offer the gospel without anybody questioning his motives, without any conditions, without any price attached to it. He can offer it absolutely free. So it is our privilege, it is our duty, if we preach the gospel, we have a reward. If we do it willingly as a privilege, we have the joy of offering God's free gift. If we do it unwillingly, we have the joy of being rewarded as faithful servants of God. Either way, we have no regrets. Now, we can have regrets in the ministry, and there are some things uh, we can avoid. There are some pitfalls, and I sometimes see people falling into these kind of things. How do we avoid regrets? Well, first of all, preach the gospel without charge. I would rather die, as Paul said, than, take, than demand one dollar to preach the gospel. When it comes to Grace Life Ministries, I'm fortunate to have an organization that allows me to say this, but I tell people, especially small churches, never let money be an obstacle. If you can't afford to have me, I'll pay all my own flight, I'll pay all my own way. You don't have to worry about a thing. I, you don't have to pay me to preach. I used to tell my students at Laterno University, I, I worked there for obviously for financial, some financial reasons because I needed the money, but I'd tell them, I'd say, hey, I love teaching the Bible, and I would do this if they didn't pay me. Just don't tell the faculty that. Don't tell the administration that. Paul didn't charge speaker fees. It was a privilege for him to go. Now, I don't usually quote Benny Hinn in a good way. <laughs> so please understand, I don't agree with probably most of his teaching, but you know what happened to him recently. He renounced the prosperity gospel that he's been preaching. And he says it is a sin to ask for $1,000 for God's blessings. And he says he'll never do it again. In his own words, he says, I think it's an offense to the Holy Spirit to place a price on the gospel. 
He said, quote, the gospel is not for sale, unquote. I don't know what his gospel is, but I like what he said about that. So here's a message from someone we wouldn't agree very much about, but he knows that the gospel cannot have a price. That's the sin of Balaam, isn't it? Charging for God's word. Well, we can also avoid regrets by preaching the gospel to build God's church instead of our own kingdoms. One of the interesting things about being involved in the FGA and and talking to people about, you know, coming together with us and connecting with us or joining the FGA is you find out that people are real protective of their turf in their ministry. And they're afraid if they join with you, somehow it's going to infiltrate or affect their ministry or dilute their ministry. And so they become very protective. They're building their own little kingdoms instead of God's church. It's grievous to see. We can preach the gospel with humility, meaning that our boast is not that we get it better than everybody else. Our boast is simply that we, by the grace of God, understand what grace is, and we are what we are by the grace of God, and our boast is not in anything we are or do, but our boast is in the cross of Jesus Christ. I love what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 10. He says, I am what I am by the grace of God. And he says, in the work that I do, it's God working in me, through me. So what do we have to boast about? Preach the gospel with humility to avoid regrets. Preach the gospel clearly. Don't say too much. Don't say too little. When I think about some of my early preaching, I go, oi. (laughs) I wish I could go back and undo that. Luckily, they didn't have YouTube in those days. It would be preserved forever. We have to be careful about you know, what we say and how we say it. And of course, that's part of what we do is we help each other to keep the message clear. Speak up for the gospel to avoid regrets. Proverbs tells us that, you know, if we see somebody who's perishing, we need to, we need to rescue them. We need to save them. Jesus said we shouldn't hide our light under a bushel. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And yet again, my experience with the FGA and talking to, to pastors and other, other leaders is, well, you know, we don't want to, you guys are all arguing about stuff. We don't want to be a part of that. Isn't the gospel important enough to put a little skin in the game? Or they'll say, well, we don't want to make it a divisive issue in our church. My friends, if you're saying that, you will rue the day that you say those words. Because that is an issue, as our brother said, Phil, that's an issue worth going to the wall for. Make sure your doctrinal statements are clear. Make sure your church stand is clear. Make sure people know what you stand for. It is an issue worth it. So do you preach the gospel for the gospel's sake? Then you have the joy of offering people the free gift of eternal life. Do you preach the gospel as a dutiful steward? of the truth, then you have the joy of being a faithful steward. Either way, we have no regrets. The gospel, whether it's a privilege or a duty. Maybe some illustrations would help us understand this idea of privilege and duty that comes with preaching the gospel. For example, parents. A lot of you are parents. My wife and I had four children. It's a privilege to have children, isn't it? to be a part of their lives, to raise up the next generation, to impart values to them, to 
just have fun with them and rejoice with them. It's a privilege. But what about when they turn around and they defy you, they disobey you, they spit in your face? Feel like a privilege now? Or more like a duty? What do you do? You know what you do. You make them their lunch and you wash their dirty socks. Because it's your duty. Same thing with marriage. What a privilege it is to find someone that God has for you who's who's the right spouse, who loves you and you can be your best friend and you can live life together, enjoy life together. And you feel the love, but what about when things get crossways and you just don't feel that love? And then you're reminded of the value you took that you're to love that person for better or for worse. It doesn't feel so much like a privilege now, does it? It's more of a duty to love your wife, to respect your husband. Or what about um, pastoring? Maybe you can relate to this one. Or missionaries. It's a privilege to stand before God's people, to be trusted and trusted with the flock of God and shepherd his sheep and to proclaim his word. What a privilege that is that we should never abuse. And then someone comes along, and as they did to a friend of mine, and say, you know, you're the worst preacher I've ever heard. You shouldn't be in any pulpit anywhere. You don't even dress right. So what do you do, pastors, speakers? You give it up? No, you go home and you complain to your wife. You lick your wounds. You read a few psalms. And you get up next Sunday and you preach again because it's your duty. You can look at preaching the gospel as our privilege, or you can look at it as a duty that we are to fulfill. The reward of preaching the gospel is the gospel itself, of having our hearts blending with God's own heartbeat for the world, to be in tune with what he wants to accomplish in his purpose and his eternal plan for the world, and just to be a part of that. To help people get into the kingdom and to prepare them to live in the kingdom. Preaching the, gospel, the reward of preaching the gospel is the gospel itself. The privilege of representing God's good news to other people. But there's also the honor of serving God obediently. Well, there's another reward that Paul doesn't speak about in this passage, but it kind of exudes from his epistles and how much he rejoices over those who are rejoicing in the truth, converted and standing in, standing in grace. And, um, you know, we train people um, in the United States. I, I speak and also Grace Life, we, we go around the world to train a lot of pastors who don't have opportunity to get that kind of training. Many of you have gone on trips with me. And uh, we've, we've trained these kinds of pastors. And I say, at the end of our training period, um, we ask them for testimonies, whether written or we give them a testimony time and we try to transcribe them as quickly as possible. I've got a thousand of them. I call them my paycheck. Because, you see, I'm not getting paid to go over there. Not one dime. We pay for these weeks of training anywhere from six dollars to $16,000, depending on the country. We pay for their food, their room, their board, the audio, the the translators, translation of notes, everything we pay for it because it's our privilege. And then at the end, the only paycheck we get is the feedback that we get from the people. That's our paycheck. 
So I collect them. I save them. I got thousands of them. I need to put them all on the website. Well, you know, we are in a David and Goliath situation because, as you know, um, the, the new Calvinism is recruiting people by the hordes. And they're having huge conferences, and they're controlling the publishing houses and the books and societies and everything else. It's a David and Goliath situation. It truly is. But I have to wonder, when somebody goes to one of their conferences of 30,000 people, or they're hearing one of their famous speakers talk about all the things they have to do to be a disciple of Christ, which means to be a Christian to them, what do they conclude? What would be their testimonies? I have to only imagine, because I don't know. But... How about this? Someone might say, I've learned much about God's sovereign will. It gives me hope that I might be one of the elect. Or I could imagine someone saying, you've thrilled my heart with the thought that God might love me enough to die for me, hopefully. Or because of your teaching, I even more test to examine myself to see if I'm really one of the elect. Thank you for this additional knowledge. Or your conference was encouraging. Today, I am even more sure more almost sure I am saved. I can't even say it, much less comprehend it. Am I being ungracious, Phil, to them? You know, someday somebody's going to see this, on, this message on YouTube. I want you to know that God and we love Calvinists, right? Amen? We love Calvinists, but we want you to know that God does love you. And Jesus did die for you. And you can have eternal life. We don't mean to be sarcastic. We want you to know. But this is the kind of paycheck we get. From Asari, for example, that you met last year in Ghana, he wrote, Until your arrival here in Ghana, I was among the countless number of preachers who made it practically impossible for themselves and others to be saved. I was working out my salvation with trembling and teaching others to also practice their way through to heaven. On countless numbers of occasions, I lost the very confidence or assurance of my salvation. Now, to the glory of God, I can be very sure of my salvation. With this evangelist in India, after I came to this conference, I understood about grace and faith and salvation. I had a great fear that if I do not live a holy life, I'll go to hell. But at this conference, I came to understand, <clears throat> understand salvation is eternal, and I'll never go to hell. With this evangelist in India, since I came, I have cleared all my doubts about salvation. Where Chantal, this wonderful woman in Burundi, says, before getting these lessons, we were in confusion, always fearing if we were going to heaven because we did not know if we had enough works to go to heaven. But with these teachings, we know for sure we're going to heaven. Pastor Jeremiah, one of our ministry partners in India, after his training with us, says, for 20 years I preached to my church congregation that they were going to hell. And I myself thought I was going to hell. Since I heard about the gospel of grace, I now know I am saved and going to heaven. And he's just bringing people every year, bringing more and more people to his training. Someone in the United States after a conference said, thank you for your ministry. Through it, God set me free from years of doubt and fear and confusion. Myanmar church leader, salvation is based on God's grace, not human effort. It's always based on grace through faith. Salvation cannot be lost. Thank you for the teaching. Here some of our leaders are confused, have confused us on salvation. The Christian life and salvation is mixed up, but now I understand God doing a great work with the grace message in Myanmar, with us and other ministries. Pastor Thomas says, I've preached the gospel for the last 12 years, but I never knew whether I'm going to heaven or not. But now after I hear about eternal security, I'm sure that I have eternal life. 
And then my favorite, which came to us through translation. Before the conference, I never knew for sure if I was going to heaven, but now I'm damn sure I'm going to heaven. (laughs) I can't say it better than that. If that's how you feel about it. I'm telling you, that's how they feel about it. And you see why I call that my paycheck, your paycheck, when you preach the gospel, is to see people's lives changed and fears and doubts disappear and security and joy enter in. Preaching the gospel is our privilege. God gave it to us. Jesus Christ died for it. Paul lived for it. And now we've inherited it. It's up to us. It's our responsibility. I always say this, where the gospel is one generation away from extinction. And it's up to you younger folks here today or listening who will need to carry this torch of a clear gospel message. It's our privilege, but it's also our duty. We're commanded to preach the gospel. We're told that we are ambassadors for Jesus Christ. We're told that we are stewards of this message. And we are servants. Paul said we preach Jesus Christ and ourselves as servants for Christ's sake. Well, how do we respond then? We must preach the gospel, the clear gospel of grace. You know, it's not enough to have a conference or an organization that just continually defines the gospel and redefines the gospel and articulates it more and more, although that is necessary and good. There has to be an organization whose purpose is to share that message with others and to preach that message with others. That's the message that the world needs to hear. Now, I know that many of you who are pastors especially, you have to preach the whole counsel of God. You have to preach on marriage. You have to preach on um, money. You have to preach on uh, uh, Christian life issues. And you can't focus on the gospel. I have a great privilege of having, being able to do that in much of my ministry, just preach about the gospel, which I love to do. But you have to preach the whole counsel of God. But doesn't everything begin and end with the gospel? Can't we get there no matter what we're preaching about? A good friend of mine who's a wonderful grace guy, evangelist, has come to FGA meetings. And he says, you know, you guys... And the FGA, and he's a supporter of the FGA. He, he says, you guys have done such a great job of explaining, defining the gospel, but I never hear you preach it at your meetings. That convicted me a little bit. We must defend the gospel of grace. It's worth taking a stand for. Of course, we're doing that both, you know, with, with the outside and those who are critics on the outside. But you'll have to find yourself defending it amongst your own organization, your own church. You'll have to decide if it's worth it. We must be faithful with the gospel of grace. By faithful, I mean keep it a central issue, not a peripheral issue. Some people say, well, yeah, I believe that, but, you know, I don't preach it much. Don't want to offend people. Don't want to stir things up. Take a stand. Be willing to get persecuted or scorned for a worthy cause. And then finally, let me just say, we must support the gospel of grace. And what better way to do that than to be connected 
here with the Free Grace Alliance. I encourage you to stay connected here and consider supporting the organization as well in whatever way you can, financially or, or hosting a regional conference, um, talking it up, spreading the literature, um, and do it as a privilege or a duty, either way you want to look at it, but it's worthy of your support. You know, sometimes uh, when I'm talking to people, I know what they're thinking because they, they're they got a big church, they got a big ministry, and they're thinking, you know, why do I need to join the FGA? What could they do for me? That's not the question. You don't need the FGA, but the gospel needs you. The gospel needs your voice so that we can be a louder voice, so that we can be a bigger influence in this world where the message is so mixed up. So consider connecting to the FGA if you're not already. This is a cause that you can support with no regrets. It was said uh, that Steve Jobs, when he, when he was uh, beginning Apple, tried to recruit Peter Scully, the CEO of PepsiCo. And he called him up and he said, uh, Steve, uh, Peter, you want to sell sh sugar, water the rest of your life? Or you want a chance to change the world? That's a question for us today, too. When we see Paul's heart, we see that he was someone who wanted to change the world. And he was going to do it with the gospel message. And that's how we can change the world as well. I don't want to go home and say, woe is me, oi, that there's somebody here tonight who would walk out these doors with doubts about their salvation. Because I don't know really who I'm talking to. Some of you are new. But if you have doubts about your salvation, if you go to sleep at night fearing what's going to happen, if you were to die in your sleep, if you don't know what would happen when you drive down the highway and a car were to collide, a drunk driver cross the line and collide with you, then you need to settle that tonight. There's a God who loves you. There's a God who, by his grace, has sent his son, Jesus Christ, to do what you could never do for yourself. You could never work your way to heaven. You can't earn it. You can't merit it. Because of our sin, there's nothing we can do to be acceptable in God's sight. There has to be one who is a substitute for us, who is acceptable in God's sight, who lived a life we couldn't live and died a death we could never die. When Jesus, as the Son of God, died on the cross, he died for all of our sins, and that includes yours. And then he made a promise when he rose from the dead. He said, whoever believes in me has everlasting life. And if you believe in him tonight, he can be your savior and your doubts and your fears can go away forever. There's no ritual. There's no special prayer. There's no special words. There's nothing. You can look me in the eye and talk to God in your heart and say, Lord, I want to trust you tonight as my savior. Let's bow our heads. And let's pray. And I'm just wondering if there is anyone here tonight that says, Lord, tonight I'm settling this for, I'm not going to doubt anymore. I'm trusting you from, as my Savior forever. And I receive the gift of eternal life tonight. Could you just stick your hand up real quickly so I can see who you are? If there's anyone like that, because I sure would like to visit with you sometime. Is there anyone who would say that? Tonight, in this crowd of theologians and people, Take a bold stand and just say, I'm going to trust in Jesus Christ as my Savior 
from now on. Okay, well, Lord, we thank you so much for the opportunity to think about the gospel, not just think about it, but to organize around it and to preach it and share it with others, to see lives change for eternity beyond what we even know or comprehend to one day in, in heaven or in the kingdom of God to be surrounded by these who have heard the gospel from us. Thank you for that privilege. Thank you for that duty. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more resources, or to help spread the message of God's life-changing grace, visit our website at gracelife.org. We'd love to hear from you. Send us a message at simplybygrace at gracelife.org. See you next time.